0: What we've got here is Failure to
1: Communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality.
0: And I think like you got to be careful like consider the source first of where it's coming from. Number 1, number 2, Yeah, I think it's important to take it all in, even if you disagree with it, like
1: take it in and think about it, let it marinate a little bit. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that dives into the often untold teenage and young adult experiences of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence and communication coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend, Kashia Rosenberg. If you've been listening along for Seasons 1 and 2, you probably know that Kashia had her baby, Jude, at the end of Season 2, and he is perfect. After a little break, we're excited to kick off Season 3 with this episode. We're back, baby. Today, I am interviewing our incredible guest on my own, but keep an ear out for Kashia when she returns in next week's episode. Today, I am so thrilled to introduce singer-songwriter and performer Annie Bosco. And he's known for his old California sound and has toured the country, opening for acts such as Dirk Bentley, Blake Shelton, Martina McBride, Wynonna Judd, Big and Rich, Josh Turner, and more. She has shared this stage performing with Adele, Darius Rucker, Andrea Bocelli, Josh Groban, and more. And she has been recognized in Rolling Stone. And you might also have heard her beautiful voice singing the national anthem at the NBA All-Star Game. Amazing. She grew up as a middle child in a family of five children, daughter to a third generation farmer. At 19, she traveled cross-country to Nashville to make her dream come true. There's just so much I can't wait to get in here. That was such a mouthful because all of your incredible success. So welcome to Annie Bosco. Hi,
0: thank you for having me.
1: We are so excited to have you on. We've been talking with you for a little while about finding a time to get on. And I know that you are launching your album soon. So I think this timing is just perfect.
0: Me too. It's good timing for sure. I wanted to make sure, you know, I'm always intentional about that. It's like you want to have something new to talk about or to promote and and you want to genuinely feel excited. And that's usually when I'm most excited, you know, so totally. I'll I'll give a better interview
1: because of that, you know, for sure. Well, we always usually start our interviews out by going way back to your childhood, to your roots, and right from the get-go, I am so interested. I mean, I don't know very many people that come from a family as big as yours and with such an interesting background. It really is, you know, when you think of like a bio of a a country artist, it's like what is more classic than being a daughter of a farmer with four other siblings? So can you tell us a little bit about your early days, your childhood, how you grew up.
0: Yeah, I grew up, you know, around a lot of noise. It's like you really never got a lot of alone time, but so fun, never a dull moment. And I think storytelling or songwriting probably came, came a lot from that. I was just observing so many experiences and personalities and, you know, life stuff. And uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and was very active and, you know, I had dinner on the table every night. Like we prayed every night together before we had dinner, which I realized is so rare in today's world or even in that world, really, to have that experience. I mean, look, there, you know, with so many personalities, there's always a lot of drama. I have a gay younger brother. I have, you know, all-America older brother. I have older sister. I have younger sister. So it's like I tell people I, I sort of have everything, every full- Area of the spectrum, like, I got it. I grew up with it. My parents were very conservative, very Catholic. And my dad was in farming my whole life, worked really hard, worked really long hours. But that was a fun experience because I think growing up with that, you know, I have memories of like my grandpa pulling in at my school and delivering like produce from the back of his truck. Amazing. Yeah. My mom would make strawberry jam from his strawberries and, you know, give it to the teachers and they loved it. And it was a job we didn't I didn't grow up on the farm. I grew up in, you know, like a very suburban town. But my dad, you know, definitely worked like the long hours. And I think um, growing up with that would definitely shaped my work ethic. And I think it, it also is what led me to ultimately sing country music because I grew up singing everything, but was exposed to a lot of country music because of my dad. And I think that had to do with his work. I'm sure he just has a
1: love for country music. So, um, yeah, here I am. Totally. Well, I I can imagine, I mean, growing up, you know, a daughter of a farmer, it's like, it's interesting because your sound has this very like grassroots, like of America feel to it. That's cool. Thank you. I love that. Of course. I feel like a lot of that must come from, you know, when you, when your career is literally like tilling the earth and like growing something to feed people that, you know, that kind of probably seeps into just the way that you you know, raise your family and the way you see the world. Um, So I feel like I should have you write my bio. I'm like, I need to write that down. (laughs) I got to write that down
0: because that was so good. But no, I do think about that. It's like, you know, I'll still have friends send me like pictures of um, Boscovich Farm cilantro that they find in Trader Joe's somewhere. And I always think about that, too, with music. It's like you can only really reap what you sow. And so you do think about, you know, like food nourishes people music nourishes people and so like how what do I want to create to nourish people and I I think about that a lot right now because it's sort of like man like what does the world really need like what do people need to hear right now you know that's that's a question that I ask myself a lot
1: well it's interesting with music too I think about this all the time I love music but it's like when you put a song out there you really like you put it out, but you don't really know where like the end listener is, where they're at when they're listening to your music, how it might affect them. And when you kind of think of like the food production too, it's like you harvest it, you put your best into the season and picking it and packaging it and then it goes off and it, you know, it will take care of people and they'll use it how they will. So I just think that there's something so, um, I mean, it's like immortal with music, especially yeah. like for, everything has a season, but totally. you know, the music you're putting out now, like, you know, your great granddaughter could be, you know, listening to it with her friends. I think about that. I think about that all the time. It's so true. Yeah. And you do put a lot of weight on
0: it because you're like, oh, I want it to succeed. And what if it doesn't? And I want to people to hear it. But then... I can also stand in my own way when I think too much about that, because I think you got to just do your best and then put it out and then sort of let magic in the universe and God sort of do what it's supposed to do with it, because oftentimes it's in ways that I never could have predicted or planned, you know, and I just have to do the best that I can to kind of put the plan together. But then you also have to allow for like divine stuff to take place with it, you
1: know, totally now I can relate to that. I mean, when we first started the podcast, it was like as a reaction to COVID shutting down these in-person workshops that we were doing. So we're like, okay, either we stop or like we find a, another way of reaching our audience. And then it's kind of blossomed into this thing that we never even thought would, you know, be an even bigger audience than we ever had before. It was because of what we thought was like a, you know, a terrible obstacle. But a lot of the times when we first started, we're like, okay, we should over edit this, take that out, do this, do that. And at a certain point, we're like, all right, this is, these are our voices. They stumble, they mumble, you know, they break up and like that's real. And that's actually what people want to hear. So it takes a lot of bravery, I think, to make a career out of that kind of, you know, really faith in what you're putting out and how it will be perceived. So back to your like childhood. So it sounds like you were sandwiched right in the middle, like in this little symmetrical family situation can you talk a little bit about the early, early days and maybe break out like what ages your siblings are or your, the age differences? Yeah. My older brother
0: is, um, let's see, he is five years older than me. My older sister's three years older than me. My little brother is a year and three months younger than me. And then my little sister is five years younger than me. So okay. kind of, yeah, we're sort of, my parents sort of knocked it all out in the gets like almost a 10
1: year span right yeah unbelievable yes. you cannot imagine having five kids I'm sitting here uh, like oh my gosh two <laughs> I can't even imagine having one I'm like oh my god I hope I unreal yeah. so you guys didn't grow up on the farm no but were you were you nearby where was like the, the farm yeah
0: we were nearby and it was fun we had a little corn stand where they sold produce and we would help out in the summer times and like you know Hus corn and sell it and um, an arena. And we had five quarter horses because my uncle was more into the rodeo world, not my dad so much. But it was fun to grow up around horses, to get to ride horses and go trail riding and to grow up with that, uh, you know, in Southern California, which I think probably happens more than people think. But I, I feel like I got to grow up. I grew up a total tomboy. Like I was always outside, whether it was horseback riding, riding horses riding bikes, climbing trees. Like I was ultimate surfing. Like I was ultimate tomboy girl.
1: <laughs> kind of it. Yeah. Well, it's fun because I, I feel like when people think like country music or kind of like a ranch life experience, they think of like middle America. They think of yeah. Texas and Montana yeah. and that kind of thing, totally. which is amazing. But there's, there's definitely that element in California and you kind of bring this like Sort of like surf hippie meets yeah, you know totally. country ranch girl vibe to the industry, which you know I I think is unique and for sure um, is obviously people are paying attention to. When you were a child, like how did you see yourself as like different from your siblings? How was kind of your family dynamic at home?
0: Yeah, I just became really fiercely independent, which I think is normal for middle children, and I started like working at a young age, you know, odd jobs at like restaurants or things. Like, my first job was. I would sing happy birthday to people at macaroni grill and, um, in Italian when I was like 15. And I, I learned that like, if I could, I learned how to sing it. And, um, it's funny. i still to this day, will whip it out. And people are like, how do you know how to sing happy birthday in Italian? And I'm Like it was my first job and it was great. Cause like I would get tips. And so I started just to like work and I, and I loved the feeling of working and I loved just going off and like I was just really independent, which is probably why I also left home at a young age, you know, to go pursue music. Ultimately felt like Nashville was the right place for me. You know, it's funny. Also, when you get us all together, even though I'm the entertainer, I'm the like most quiet, usually. Like Everyone yeah. overpowers me. So I think it's shocking because people see me on stage and they're like, oh, wow, she's doing this. But really, I'm like the quiet one. And like they all talk over me, which is fine. I don't care. I actually... I enjoy it because I don't need to be like the center of attention. I don't even like being the center of attention, honestly, in like social settings. So for me, it's more because I think I I get to have that moment when I'm on the stage. Like that's when I get to, you know, do my thing and it's fun. So when I'm not doing that, I've, I'm totally fine. Like not, you know, not having to be like the hey. So I was sort of, I bad. guess, like the more quiet and shy one until I started performing. And that's sort of where I naturally got attention because Of what I did, you know, and I started doing like theater productions and singing in church and singing football games, singing really, honestly, anywhere anyone told me to, I would just pop up and like sing. And that's sort of how I started to gain attention. Yeah, I was made fun of a lot, you know, by my siblings. Like I wasn't like, I wouldn't
1: say I was like the cool kid at all. So at home, like what would they, what were your siblings like, like, what, what, I mean, what could they, po- I, this is interesting because mm. I'm like, how could they possibly make fun of you? You have this gorgeous voice and so sweet. Well, you know, you're like a kid. And so God, it's like you make fun of each
0: other for everything. Right. Yeah. Like, I think I had a season of bad breath and like my, they loved to tease me about that. It's gone now. Yeah. But I don't, yeah. I don't even know what it was. I'm like, what was I eating? I think I was not brushing my teeth because I hated the taste of mint as a kid. So mm-hmm. I would like, pretend I was brushing my teeth, but the not actually brush. Yeah. So disgusting. I mean, all sorts of things.
1: They have daughters and I'm like, oh, daughters. And like the poop talk in our house is like, <sighs> it's a lot. <laughs> like there, There's all sorts of things that little kids what go you through. You talk about poop things? a lot.
0: Yeah. No. And the blaming is now I am like a dental hygiene freak. I like brush three times a day. I block, like now I'm like the opposite. I guess whatever they could do to take the piss out of me, they did, you know, and it was like I'd be doing big things you know like my first job with disney when i'm 13 but it was never like oh she's doing that you know like it was always like yeah. oh yeah she just went and did that you know it was like funny people i mean my siblings are the most proud out of anyone and still are like my number one supporters but um i didn't have a momager or i didn't i think my parents tried to keep me normal and they didn't want to expose me to like the issues that can come with entertainment and so i think i got a uh, they did a really good job of keeping me humble.
1: Yeah. That's what I was about to say. I mean, I grew up as a middle child also. Wow. And it's funny, like when I, when I tell my friends and stuff that I, you know, when I was a kid, I was like cripplingly shy yeah. and like felt like I wasn't really heard in my family. Like we'd uh-huh. sit at the dinner table. I'm like, I can't get a word in. Yeah. I'm like, what's try every once in a while? Because I'm like, you guys are talking and I just want to say something, you know? Oh, still. Still. Like, and when I go home, we go right back into those roles. But then it's funny because outside in the world and in these things I pursue and stuff, it's like people are like, oh, you're so outgoing. And I'm like, if you only knew yes. where we come from. But I also think that it it does keep you humble. I felt like this same kind of energy when I started modeling and stuff. Like my family started like, OK, until like something big comes out or you do something there, then they're like, you know, really excited. Of and course. it's not, you know. Of course, they support you along the whole way. But I think sometimes family like that keeps you grounded, but also keeps you ambitious for more, because I definitely think that there's a motivator in terms of like showing your family that it's real, because those are the people that see you from the very beginning when your dream is just that. It's just it's just a dream. And, you know, it's so hard to succeed in entertainment and music industries that it's like, you know, our parents, they want to keep us safe by like you know, making sure, you know, like that is a dream and it's really hard for it to come true. Oh, my God. Yeah. They might feel like they did everything to get me to like not do it almost. It was like, please yeah. go to
0: college. Please choose something else. please. Whereas most parents would be like, do it, do the thing, you know, like yeah. mine was the opposite. But I know it was just like protection because it was fear of all the negative things that can come along with it, you know, which there are, you know, there there are. Yeah. But ultimately, I think they saw like, oh, this is like, her this is who she is this is what she's destined to do and she's working at it you know she's not just like sitting around like pretending to be uh, waiting for it to happen to her exactly. or something. yeah they
1: saw that I was really going for it and I was working hard so now they're like the most supportive ever yeah know? oh on a certain point it's like something like that that's so within you it's like the longer you try to just deny it or force yourself into something that isn't really like who you are at at your core then yeah. it's like that's where some of the more destructive stuff can come in because it's, you know, totally these fighting desires, really. Do you remember like first time you sang or realized that you loved to sing? Yeah. You know, there's a couple like moments that I have that are
0: so vivid in my memory. Like I remember like driving with my dad. I think, you know, all weekends sometimes he would go just like drive through the fields to look at them and to like, or go, you know, stop in a market to like go to the produce aisle or whatever. I remember driving with him somewhere and hearing Crazy by Patsy Klein for the first time. And he was like, this is the best singer. You need to learn from her. It's like, that was a moment where I was like, oh, And I just remember like this voice grabbing me, you know, through the speaker. I was like, it just grabbed my soul. Remember that. And I remember when I was five, I sang Over the Rainbow at my great grandmother's funeral. And that song really spoke to me. And, you know, I have very little recollection of it, but you know I do remember it happening and I remember the feeling of people being like oh my god like this voice just came out of this little thing you know and I was so young and I think about it now like god, to be five and seeing in front of people like and I was shy so that was like shocking that I actually did that because when, when people would come over and my parents would ask me to sing for people I would usually sing behind a plant he joked I was like mm-hmm. a singing plant I was like oh you know behind a plant <laughs> or it was under a table because I was so nervous I was like I couldn't have people look at me and I would just sing. And so when I was five and then I was 13 and I got the job with Disney, like that's when I realized, okay, maybe I could actually do this as a career because prior to then, I didn't really see any way of, it was just a dream, but I was like, I don't know how to make this an actual career, you know, as a professional. And so I think that was a moment where I was like, okay, maybe I could be a professional, at this, you know? And there were a bunch of other things that happened along the
1: way. We love like diving into that, like that first break kind of moment, because I think for a lot of our listeners are young women and they're trying to figure out like the first step to take towards a career. And sometimes it's like, it's clear and you can look it up online and it's like, okay, I'm going to go apply to this thing. But I think honestly, for most of the women that we we interview, it's a sense of passion and desire and wanting something and then chance or an opportunity just kind of like, it becomes apparent to them at some point, you know, and they just and they take the first opportunity they can get and do the most they can with it. So can you tell us a little bit about how that like Disney opportunity became an opportunity yeah. um, and how you responded to it? When I was 13,
0: my aunt knew somebody that worked at Disney and they had just done a version of Part of Your World for Little Mermaid two, And Shelly Wright, who is a country singer she did a version of it and they needed another version with a younger voice to be like the daughter. So she said, Oh my gosh, they're looking for a young voice. Can you get over here? He's here. And, um, he just kind of explained to me what's going on. And I told him you're a singer. So I drove to my aunt's house or my mom drew me, showed up. I sang for him like acapella on the spot and he hired me like that. And so it was, they call it God winks, you know, like we God sort of like winks at you. So that was, um, so surreal that it happened so easily too it's like
1: yeah
0: you know and it's bizarre because i think at that point i mean what girl my age didn't grow up like obsessed with all disney movie songs those soundtracks were the best some of the best soundtracks ever made some of the best songs ever written some of the best melodies ever written so i was a freak with disney soundtracks and movies and the music in them because they're still to this day like nothing there's nothing like it you go through those songs yeah they're iconic Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And songs that will be around forever. I think that was major for me. And uh, I got to go, you know, to Burbank and the major studio and like go in a studio for the first time and put headphones on. And my mom goes, I'll never forget it. You put a pencil in your hair, you took your shoes off, and then you just like ripped, you know? And I I don't, and it was so, so cool and so surreal for it to be Disney because that was something that I had, you know, grown up loving. So that was one. Then another one was when I was in my teens. I, think I was like 16 or 17. I was able to meet producer David Foster through the Gretzky family because I had gotten to know their daughter who was in music. So I was able to show up at David's studio and meet him. And, you know, I was like, what do you do? And I, well, I, I sing and he said, sing for me. And it's okay. Well, what, do you, what would you like me to sing? He's like, how about the power of love, Celine Dion? And I'm like big songs, you know, and I mean, casual, like, how about Celine Dion? And you're like, sure. <laughs> well, cause like that's, you know, he produced all those big singers. Yeah. He, like hits the instrumental track version. I'm singing it in the studio and I think I did good. I did okay. I don't think, I don't know that I like nailed it. I walked outside. He was having someone else singing. He was auditioning for a singer for a show, for a show he was doing. And, sure. um, and so he was having other singers sing and I'm outside and I called my mom and I'm like, I did the power of love. I don't know if it was good and I don't know it was okay I might have I didn't nail it I didn't totally Totally. flunk it and it was totally a piece of shit but it wasn't the best thing ever and I don't know and she was like well did you tell him you sing I will always love you he produced I will always love you for Whitney Houston the bodyguard and I'm like oh god yeah I should I should tell him you're right okay so I walked back in and I'm like and also I can sing the bodyguard song and yeah (laughs) and so anyways he uh have me sing it acapella no music and like a week later I'm singing on stage with Celine Dion and it was just like one of those moments where you're just going how is this even real like how what is my life how did this happen and it just felt like a dream and I have small little glimpses of it but I think that was also so defining because it was also you know being around the greats and legends and learning from them and Just how they work, their work ethic, how they carry themselves, and meeting Celine Dion was so huge. I just grew up idolizing her and seeing what an amazing person she was. You know, and how she greeted every security guard she walked past, how she treated everyone like little people. It was, and I just think that's who she is. It's not even really calculated. That's just who she is. She grew up one of twelve kids you know, and very humble beginnings. And Renee was amazing. He brought my mom out into the audience to watch me sing center audios. And so that was such a great experience because it was like, okay, you know, here's the best in the world who happens to also be the nicest in the world. Like I'm in yeah. the dressing room and she's like, hold my baby. And I'm holding her baby. And, you know, that's just who she is. Just so unpretentious, so unpretentious. Not not even an ounce of diva attitude, yet the biggest diva singer in the world you know and so that was so inspiring and also okay like maybe I really can
1: do this and God is sending me these opportunities to show me something you know well and what I'm hearing too is that like you when you get these opportunities if you were to respond like oh I'm not ready or like can I get back to you in like you know a few days and prepare something or like just doubted yourself in any capacity when you have those opportunities like they'll just pass you know, but it seems like for both of those settings for, you know, the little mermaid thing where you're like, okay, let's just go. Like, I'll go over there and and just sing right in front of him, you know, and with David Foster, even, even to say like, this is my opportunity. And I want to make sure that he heard me, you know, and, and recognizes what I can do and to go back and be like, let me try again is bold. And I, I think that for a lot of people, especially in creative careers, you know, it's difficult to call yourself something when you don't think that you have like proven it yet or done something that merits, you know, the title of saying like, I am a singer, you know, or whatever it might be. I'm an actor. I'm a podcaster. I'm something. And it's funny because I think especially for people who come from humble backgrounds or big families or, you know, are just humble people, it's like you never quite feel like you have all the credentials to... You know, it's like you made it. You probably. And it's interesting because I've met some very successful creatives that are like, they don't believe that they've made it, even though like all the successes have like racked up. Right. There's still so much. Yeah.
0: You're so right, though. You hit the nail on the head with the you're never ready. Right. And there's always a scratch in your throat or an allergy or a tired or, you know, I caught myself doing it the other day in a meeting. I like woke up with a weird sore throat and I told them and I was like, you can't do that. Like, you just can't no negative, no doubt. No, don't even give people a reason to doubt. And just, and I wasn't ready to sing with Celine Dion. I wasn't ready to sing. I will always love you. It was out of my range. I was pulling my voice, you know, but the truth is like, you're never ready and you're like, you'll never have a, and and even when you think you've made it, you know, and you do make it, you do have those moments, you're still not going to feel like you're ever, you know, like you've ever really made it. Right. And I think you talk to the biggest artists in the world, And they still feel that way, you know, and they're still like second guessing or, ah, is anyone going to come to the show? And you're like, you just sold out three nights at the forum. forum. like, What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, and they're like, I'm just worried no one's going to come to the show. And you're like, okay, so I learned like, man, this stuff never goes away. And you just got to like move forward in the face of fear. And the people that do over and over and over again, I think, end up winning, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's probably part of the thrill of it, too, when you think about like what draws you to a career like this is that like limitless potential that there is always another stage to step on, another audience to reach. You won't hit a point where you're like, I've made it and I'm done. You know, yeah. that it's like, then then what would you do? It would be, totally. would be boring. And I think that that kind of personality really succeeds. in this. Yeah, you have to have it or else it's just, if you're looking for like the security, the sure, the thing of it's like,
0: no, never yeah. like the assurance of everything. Because nothing ever goes smoothly either. Like there's, I always go, there's always going to be hiccup at every show. It's not a matter of yet, it's when. So it's like, how do you react in the face of things going wrong and being unexpected and like out of your control? And, you know, and it's like, it's a big thing
1: for sure. Being able to roll with the punches. Did you have any moments, especially early on, that you like question things? You're like, oh man, this is the end. Or like, I got to do something else. (sighs) all the time still. <laughs> and
0: always. And again, I think it's like it's just moving forward in spite of it because those voices are always there. You know, I don't know if they ever really go away. It's like a matter of like mastering the fear and using it to your advantage. You know, it's like because the fear will always be there. The voice is telling you. well, I don't, I don't it's Always there. And the nerves are always there. Like I always get nervous before any gig, you know, on different scales. Like sometimes I'll be like more confident than others or I won't really care as much, you know, for certain things because I'm like, whatever. That's usually when I do the best, you know,
1: I shouldn't say that because
0: I do always care. I always do, whether it's two people in the audience or 20,000, I'm always like wanting to be my best. But, you know, certain factors will make you more nervous for certain performances. But I think the nerves are a good thing. It means you care. And yeah, you know, I definitely have had moments where. I struggled with my vocal cords. I had an issue a couple of years ago on a surgery and that was scary. I thought, well, maybe that's it. You know, maybe I'll never like sing the same again. And fortunately, I, I think most people would say I sing better than I did before. I don't know if it's because I, I sing a lot more or I, I train my voice more. I take care of it better, you know, and I wasn't at that point, I would go play four hour shows and take or ibuprofen and not think anything of it, you know, and really like you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I know that now. I didn't know that then. And I think in general, I just take care of myself even better now and careful about, you know, I guess what I put into my body and about physical exercise and mental and spiritual and everything. You know, it's all sort of all encompassing for me.
1: Yeah. But that was a moment where I thought, well, maybe this is it, you know? Yeah. We, you know, as a podcast and as a company, we focus a lot on confidence. And a lot of people, you know, come to us, they're like, I get so nervous, like speaking in public, interviewing, performing. And I love that just the science of nerves. And yeah. I think that there, there is misunderstanding that people think that like, oh, people that are able to do that stuff just don't get nervous. And like you said, it's like, no, if anything, like you get more and more nervous because it becomes more and more important to you. But a coach of mine actually said the same thing that it was like your heart racing, feeling that kind of the butterflies and everything. It means that something is important to you. And those physical responses are actually like instinctive ways for our body to prepare us for something. That You are actually reaching your, your peak ability to do what you're there to do. And then I think once you kind of channel that energy into what you're doing, combined with like focusing not so much on yourself and how you're feeling and bottling all of that up back into yourself focusing on like okay who am I doing this for like Mm -hmm. where is what I'm I'm trying to do where is it going focusing on that like kind of a target rather Mm -hmm. than keeping it all back at yourself that's such good advice because it's like and someone told me this a long time ago it's like
0: you need to focus on like expressing, not impressing. And it's true. I think when you focus on the express and the expression and not the, I'm trying to impress, you know, you, you end up impressing
1: (laughs) you know? So good. I'm literally going to write that down. I think it's the theme of our episode, but I think that, yeah, expressing rather than impressing is so, so powerful. And you just said it too.
0: You're the one that said it really. I'm like, that's so true. You're you're focusing too much on yourself and not what you're there to deliver.
1: And I think it's especially hard, you know, a lot of our audience is is young women and, you know, the reality, I mean, for young and old women and men right now, it's like we're in this stage of culture where everyone has profiles and putting out content and it's all about like, put it out there. And I think it can be, it's powerful because it's a way of reaching a lot of people. And if what you're creating and stuff is really with the intention of like getting to people with value or whatever you're putting out there then it does usually get like taken really well, but it can also lead to like, oh, but like, what should I, the the self-editing process is that like impressing energy rather than expressing where it's like, okay, is this good enough? Like, should I do what this person's doing? What are people going to think about this? It can be really just intimidating and damaging. Yeah,
0: no, and I, my biggest issue is probably just caring too much what people think, you know? And it's like Mm -hmm. the curse of death as an artist, really, because, Oh my god! When you open yourself up to the opinion committee, especially with like industry people, oh, it's gonna be—you gotta—it's just like it's endless. And it's good to take it all in, but also like you gotta realize these people are wrong a lot too. And I've had like big producers or writers or executives say, "Oh my god, I passed on this." Oh, I told them not to record this song; it was the biggest song of their career. So I think like you need to also remember it's all still kind of a guessing game and the other day, like take it with a grain of salt, but also don't go against your gut. If your gut's telling you something, it's like, you've got to really tune in and listen to that. You know, don't underestimate the power of the
1: gut instinct because it's there for a reason. Such a good point. I'm interested. I'm sure as a performer, you have received critique or feedback, you know, at certain points in your career. How have you managed that? Has there been Feedback that you had have had to incorporate, and has there been other feedback where you're like, I know that's wrong.
0: You know, I love. I'm one of those people that like loves critique, and I will. No one's gonna critique critique me more than me. Trust me. Like, I'll look back at videos. I'll listen back to things. I oh my god, before anyone gives me any critiques, like I'm like I've already picked the whole thing apart. Don't worry. Like I already know where I could have done better. When people are like, you killed it. I'm like, no 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 no. Verse two, I did the, You know, like I'm always. My harshest critic for sure. But yeah, I think it's good if you feel like the people are genuinely there to help you, you know, and they are people who you respect who are also in the arena, you know, the Brene Brown thing. It's like, I don't want your opinion if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked, if you're not someone who has gone out and made stuff happen. And I think like you got to be careful, like, consider the source first of where it's coming from. Number one, number two. Yeah, I think it's important to take it all in, even if you disagree with it, like take it in and think about it, let it marinate a little bit. But then ultimately, you know, you have to like go with your gut and go, "Uh, no, you know, I think it was this was good or this was wrong. And I think like ultimately for me, the audience is going to be the decision makers of it, you know, at the end of the day. So it's like we can only all guess so much, but at the end of the day, I think I am, I guess, fortunate in the sense that, like, I do work in a business where you have an audience that will ultimately make those decisions for you, like with songs, you know? If I have five people at the end of a show tell me, oh, this song, wow, oh my God, move me, then okay, there's my answer. Sometimes the answers come to me through people, and I, and I really appreciate the feedback from those people. Because yeah. I know there's no ulterior motives. Like they have no ulterior motives. They're just people that are there to enjoy music. They love country music. Right? You know what I mean? So I think that that's always very telling.
1: Totally. I love your your advice to consider the source. I mean, I think that using that to kind of filter some of those opinions, it's mm-hmm. like such, such good advice because I think that with social media and everything, like the arena can sometimes seem bigger than it actually is mm-hmm. when you're like, okay, I actually, I am a singer songer. I'm a recorder. Like I'm going to take feedback from people who have done this before people who I can trust and know want me to succeed. Like that's valuable feedback. Some troll on Instagram that doesn't even have like a, a profile on their handle or whatever, like telling me I'm ugly or this or that it's irrelevant, you know? And like that can, you can kind of toss it out because it's like the source, you know, isn't valid. And I think if you take the feedback from everybody then you end up being kind of nobody, you know, you're going to go in every different direction if you take feedback from. So
0: true. Oh, my God. If you end up taking feedback from everybody, you're going to be a nobody. And that's the truth, because you look at anyone like Freddie Mercury, Bohemian Rhapsody, that's like an eight minute rock opera. Are you kidding me? They were like, you can't put this out, you know, and then like, look what happened. So I think like God, that is so true. And not everyone's going to get you or love what you do. And that's okay. You know, so good. Yeah. And if you're doing something that everybody loves and gets, like you're probably not even really doing anything, you
1: know, honestly. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's okay to reach like a small group very deeply rather than trying to like cater to like a huge audience. And it's interesting because it's like I feel like with music, particularly like people that, you know, I've had friends that are like, oh, I don't like country or I don't like this. But then there's always, like, one artist that they're like, but actually, like, maybe I do because of this song, you know, and this thing. And, like, you can sometimes reach people in, in niches that you didn't even know you could reach. Totally. But it's, like, because you stayed in your lane and you did what you are doing and followed the people that, like, you know, you look up to. Yeah. Do you have any, like, idols, either, like, idols that, you know, are far away or in history or people who are, you know, in your circle that you really look up to and, and trust? for career guidance?
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. As far as idols go, I mean, you know, at a young age, I like I fell in love with Shania Twain, in love, obsessed. Mm -hmm. Celine Dion, in love. Uh, Sheryl Crow, like as a songwriter, really inspired me to play guitar and to like become a real songwriter. You know, I was like, she's a real songwriter, a real musician, and so that was important. As far as people that I trust, you know, I've certain like musician, Collaborators, confidants, friends that know me for a really long time that I trust. Cause I'm like, I know there's no ulterior motives with them. You know, I know it's like, it's pure. There's nothing that they're trying to gain or get from it. And I like their musical taste. I think they have a really good musical taste. So I'll trust them on that. You know, it's like if someone doesn't really share the same musical taste as me, then we're probably not going to get each other. And that's okay. Again, not everyone's going to get you. I think it's so
1: important to find the thing that is you. And I'm still finding it every day. You know, that's the hardest part. You know, we're always talking about like the importance of mentors and people to kind of guide you. I have found that when someone tells you like, I see myself in you, it's usually a really good indicator that that person wants to serve you for pure interests. that it's like they, they, they have been where you are. And I think that's a really powerful motivator for someone who is a mentor. And it's honestly, it's what everything we do with Bridget is that it's like, I've been, you know, a high schooler, a a young adult that like, you know, is fighting off a lot, you know, and, and struggling. And I want to create something that like that girl that where I was, you know, would have benefited from. And I think that that's a, that's a powerful motivator for a mentor. And I, I saw, I think it was kind of recent. You were on stage, I think at an event that Amy Grant was putting on. And I'm obsessed with Amy oh, Grant. I, we have this Aww. like, I think it's from like 1998, but there's oh like a Christmas laser disc of yeah. her and Vince Gill when they were like first we're like finding each other on this like Christmas. I think it's at the Grand Ole Opry. And we literally put the laser disc on and we watch it and listen to like all the, the you know, country Christmas songs while we're decorating our tree at home. My family mm-hmm. does. And I so I, I, I love her. And I had that like young, you know, vision of her always in my mind with her curly hair and her beautiful voice. And when I saw that video you posted of you and her on stage, I was like, oh my God. Nanny is like young Amy Grant. I can only imagine, you know, that someone like that must look at you and and see like your potential and your Oh my heart God, that everything. would like made me cry thinking about
0: that. Cause like oh. <laughs> No, I mean, look, when people that I've worked with have said, like, you know, you remind me of like Cheryl Crow or you remind me of Amy Grant. I'm like, first of all, can we talk about Amy Grant not even being a real person? Because, I mean, she radiates just pure love, acceptance, love, acceptance of everyone, of all backgrounds. Like, No judgment. Come as you are. This door is open for everyone. There's a seat at this table for everybody and gives so much of herself to help people. And I just went into her in the airport like a couple weeks ago and I was, you know, kind of going to like a stressful thing and I was nervous. And I'm like, there she is, the angel herself. And just talking to her, you just feel like, you know, and she's so grounded and she's gone through her stuff, no doubt oh my gosh, her faith is so strong that like when you talk to her, you just feel at peace, you know? And you feel like love, just pure love. And I really can't think of a better way to serve God, honestly, because it's like, we get so bogged down with rules and things and this and that. And well, I'm right and you're wrong and pointing the finger and drawing lines. And here's a woman that just draws no lines and loves everyone and loves God. And so I think, For her to invite me, you know, to sing at that event. And like we've become friends since, and she's sent me positive messages and positive feedback and encouragement. You know, you just like here's someone that's mastered her craft as a songwriter, as a singer, as a communicator. Like she just knows really how to like reach into the human soul, whether you're talking to her like this or like through music, just like master communicator of like we'll reach into your soul and like get you. It's weird, too, because when you say that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's something that like, I almost didn't post or I'm going through trying to post on TikTok every day to be like a TikToker and grow all that. And so I'm like trying to post things. But the beauty of it is I'm posting things that I go back and look at and go like that was, you know, like over a year ago. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what a moment. And from that, we've grown a friendship. And like we text and I sent her music. And then Skill, her husband, you know, sang on a song with me as a duet. And, you know, to be in the caliber of those kinds of people who are so good at what they do, but then also like the best at what they do, you know, and are just there to support and not really judge or not really, t- they're just there to support, you know, and help. And I, I recognize like, I don't know that they do with everyone. So maybe I'm just one of the lucky people that was able to be in their aura at the right time. But, um, you know, with Vince, like he really sort of stepped into my world at a time when I was He doesn't even know it, but just so defeated. Like i left Nashville and I'm like, I'm done. I can't, can't do this. Like my heart's broken. I have like no voice. I I went through a terrible betrayal situation. I can't talk about for NDA purposes. And I just thought I'm like, I'm done. And I'm only going back to Nashville if I get a gig. Screw this, you know? And then I got a gig. (laughs) And I come here, sing at the gig, bump into him, talk to him. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm making an album which I wasn't even making. In my mind, I was making it. I'm like, you're making an album. Love this is what you're doing. And he wrote down his name and number. And he's like, I, I want to sing and play on it. And it was like, OK, well, now you have to go make the album because now he's singing and playing on it. So like, you better get your shit together. You know, there's another one of like the Godwink moments where you're like, OK, like this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's a good point that you make because you can get so caught up in what's hot at the moment. What's in right now? Oh, well, this is in, So you got to do this. And this look is in, And you got to act like this. And you got to be. No, it's like, who do you want to be like? And don't forget that. Don't forget those people and be like, that is what I want to be like. And just that is the level of human of talent that I want to emulate and really, really like hold on to it because you will lose the vision if you don't, you know. And so I have like vision boards and things and playlists. And I try to just kind to of tune out the other noise sometimes because it really like it's just not gonna help
1: you be you, you know. Well, and there's so much out there. I feel like when you're like, okay, I wanna be in the music industry, it's like you could you could go a bazillion different ways. There's a million people competing in that world that it can feel overwhelming to the point that you don't do anything, you know? And if someone were to approach you and be like, What are you doing? There's a temptation to almost be like, Whatever you want me to do. Like, what should I do? But for you to just be like, I'm making an album and pick one thing to go in on. And then it's concrete to think about I'm going to have this epic music career can feel lofty. It's a great dream and goal. But it's like, it feels like where you're running around the circle trying to see like where you can kind of poke yourself in. But I think just picking one thing like, okay, I'm I'm making an album like that is tangible. An album, you know, has so many songs like it was released like this, I have to kind of like stage it out like that. And once you kind of write your goal out and like break it into something that's realistic suddenly it is it is a thing and I think that's so cool that you're like you know you said it and it became true and he found a way like a lot of times when people reach out you have to recognize when someone's trying to help you for him to come up to you like people have motivations when we reach out to each other like it's what it's what we do you know and um, you know, like I reached out to you. I'm like, I think you have an incredible story. And I think that your star is like clearly rising. And I think there's a lot of people that, especially young women could look at someone like you and where you're at and be like, she's perfect, you know, and she's made it and um, this, and like, it's, it's true. So
0: far from that,
1: Yeah. But they can't re- necessarily like, they can relate in the sense that they like you, but not like she's just like me and I think it's just so valuable to like share those early nuggets and some of those doubts but also like what did you do to just kind of like jump over that log of an obstacle and just put yourself out
0: oh yeah and it's weird to hear you say that because at times I'm like oh my gosh I do people think of me that way or do girls think of me that way and think like oh well she's just perfect she's got it all together because it's like oh oh my god I'm like if they only knew that like first of all, my voices in my head are the worst. And just all the things, you know, that I've been told. And as a woman now, like in your 30s, like that's a whole new battle of, you know, stuff that you, you know, and like, oh, well, we've heard her before. You know, it's like, and you're dealing with that. When I moved here, it's like, you got to pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. You pay your dues. I'm like, oh, we already know about her. Yeah, she's a husband, you know? And so it's like, God, the stupid shit you have to deal with. I'm like, if people... Only new, only new.
1: <laughs> the cool thing about your music, though, is you can music is such a powerful way of like connecting with people, and it's undeniable. Like you don't have to explain music. like it just comes from you, you know, and from like the deepest parts of you. If you could use any descriptors or like explain kind of how music, like what music means to you, yeah. what would you say?: oh My
0: gosh, music is like my lifeline, you know. Music can dictate my mood, my actions, my life. Like it actually can change my life, the trajectory of my life. Like it's that powerful. You know, like when I need to get pumped up, like before a meeting or a thing, or when I'm feeling low self-esteem, like I got that playlist, you know, like when I am like on the floor, devastated from heartbreak, not wanting to see the light of day and wishing it would just stay dark forever. Like, I have my playlist for that, too, you know, and then falling in love. You have a playlist for that. It's just such a powerful tool. Yeah, it's like it's just like a life changer, you know, for me, because it's like literally a lifesaver,
1: a life changer. My lifeline, like it has changed my life and it does every day. I love that. I mean, I so I like to sing to my daughter every night. I am oh, not a singer. It doesn't
0: matter, though, to her to hear her, her. Your voice is so special. Yes. Yeah.
1: Awesome. It's so, it's been so special to us because, and even like, you know, singing to my firstborn with my second in my belly, you know, so knowing that she's like hearing my voice from within, but it's just, you know, we sing like the same songs every night, but I've realized like how important that is to her. And I've also had moments, you know, sometimes where I'm like, just feeling like the best mom and I sing a certain way. And then I've had moments where I'm like, my baby's sick and I feel like I can't do anything about it. And my voice comes out with the same song a different way, you know, and the voice ha- the, the you know, the song has a completely almost different meaning as you hear it. I just think that it's just such an, a powerful, like emotional tool that everybody, everybody connects to in yeah. some way.
0: Yeah, whether you can sing or not, like, that's not the point, you know, it's like your voice that you're using to and some of my favorite artists are not the best singers, by the way, at all. But they just, they, you feel like what they're communicating. And so that's really. Yeah. They're able to tap into that, like emotion. yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what it's supposed to do is evoke an emotion. Is it evoke an emotion or not? Right. Like that's the most important thing.
1: You mentioned a little earlier about some things that you've developed to like better take care of yourself, your voice, your physical body. Can you walk us through any of like those practices or routines or can, even things like you do right before you perform? Yeah, you know, I've always been a health freak, total health nut, always. But
0: I think as I've gotten older, I'm even like more meticulous about it and more rigid about it, just because, you know, as a singer, like you can't really get sick, you know, you're screwed. I just sing in Madison Square Garden a couple months ago and I I got sick. So I had to do a steroid shot and it's a whole thing. You're like, I gotta do a shot and it's just, and that's not good because that has side effects and, you know, those things really only, you can only do them for so long. And it's like a a bandaid, right? I'm really, really careful about how I take care of myself because being youthful, having good energy, taking care of my voice. This is, you know, as a singer, you're not a guitar player who can go out and party and drink and like show up the next day and kill it. Like as a singer, you're like, that will affect you. You've been out talking, drinking, you know, not getting sleep, like it affects you. So I think I'm pretty rigid about that just because it sort of ups my whole performance when I am, you know, when I am on it. And I, I'm on a program. I try to wake up, drink water. I try to juice as often as I can lately, like almost every day. I try to eat healthy food. I make almost all my own food, but I still go out and eat and I'll crush a hamburger and fries. And I'm, look, I'm like, every, you know, I'm not by any means. Like I can't eat or, you know. Yeah. 80-20. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I definitely go out and like crush really unhealthy food every once in a while. But for the most part, yeah, I try to do all that just because I mentally feel better. That's the biggest thing. And with exercise, like every day, pretty much have to, even if it's just walking a couple miles, it's a mental thing that really happens for me where I feel like I can write better. I can perform better. I show up better in the room. Like it's just everything all encompassing. So I think that and I get a lot of song ideas, too, when I go out on walks, a lot of my creative ideas will come from that or when I'm just outside in nature. Yeah, it's different. You know, there's different seasons for things. Right now, I'm kind of getting back into like reading more because I'm getting more into like writing and songwriting. And I think a lot of times for songwriting, so much of it is filling the well with those little nuggets, you know, and those things to help you.
1: Images and phrases and all those things. right? I think there's actually, there's research about the way your mind works when you're walking. One of my favorite things to do with like my girlfriends. I mean, it's it's hard to find the older we get, right? And we're busier. Everybody gets hard to find time to like, yeah, make time with your friends. Um, So originally it started out as kind of multitasking. Like, well, let's exercise and hang out together. I call it a walk and a talk. Walk and talk. It's the best. But I found like it's. I also leads to like the best conversations with my friends because having that kind of like steady... You know, low intensity heart rate, you know, in the fresh air and everything. I think it's like a powerful way to connect with friends, but also like with yourself when you're like, yeah, and
0: you don't have to meet at like a happy hour for a drink. I'm like, you know, I just I think already in our industry, there's so much alcohol involved at events, at shows, at things and everyone's having a drink. So I think if I can, I'm like, and you're right, like talking and walking, you're releasing endorphins. You're having conversations you would never be having at a bar ever like things will come out wouldn't come out anywhere else in my experience probably and you're killing two birds with one stone you're like i'm getting i'm getting an exercise in
1: exactly i think it's like i like to see meaning in everything like kind of a metaphorical person but like walking with your friend in the same direction i think is just like such a nice metaphor like you're parallel lines you know but you're moving no. in the same direction you want the same things i'm like and i think in that sense like the conversation's just so good when you're physically yes. embodying what you want out of that relationship. Well, the
0: other day, like I was we were talking uh, and like before I looked, I looked down I'm like, oh, my God, we just walked six miles.
1: Like normally I'd be like, oh, God,
0: five miles, you know, like I'm like it was like without even realizing. So it's amazing
1: how I can do that, too. Yeah. And I can imagine like in a career like yours, there are probably people who have been alongside you helping you, you know, take these next steps and stuff. And you're going to look back at different moments and be like, oh, my God, like we just performed this many shows or we just put out this many songs. And like it didn't even feel like it because I was alongside, you know, these particular people. So I definitely want you have your album coming out soon. I want you to pitch that. Tell us a little bit about it when it's coming out and kind of what to expect. It's a work in
0: progress. Don't know when it's coming out. I'll say most likely in the next year but I'll have a song out in like a month or two. So that's, that will be more recent. Uh, probably a few. You know, I think it's some of the best songwriting that I've ever done. And so I am proud of that as an artist. And I feel like there's a lot of like artistic integrity. in it. And I have collaborations with Vince Gill, with Dwight Yoakam, who's one of my all-time favorites too. And Raul Mala, who's amazing, lead singer of the Mavericks. Thematically, we're calling it the Caged Bird album, inspired by Maya Angelou. I know why the Caged Bird sings which is appropriate for, you know, pandemic and everything that the world went through but also what I went through, you know, not being able to sing and losing my voice and and so I'm excited. It's nerve-wracking, it's exciting and I do think there's something on it for everyone. So,
1: I love yeah. that. Okay, well we usually close out with kind of like a fast five little questions. Well, okay. And you just say what kind of first comes to mind. For number 1, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Don't care so much about what other people think because they're just thinking about themselves. Oh, so true. I think that like that's so true. So many people, it's like, oh, they're still thinking this thing about me. It's like, no, like we walk around as I, you know, most other people like they're thinking but about themselves. They're not themselves. even thinking like, about you. Thinking
0: about but I, in my mind, I'm
1: like, they're totally thinking about, them. they're not, you know. Amen. Number two, what's your favorite way to unplug? Yoga. I think it's
0: the no phone thing. And, you know, surfing too when I can, which is rare. But it's Mm -hmm. when I'm not with my phone. It's like being disconnected to my phone, honestly. Because, look, the phone is, oh my God, it's like amazing. It's It's such a blessing. We can do everything from this thing. Post, email, everything. But it's also such a distraction that I think it cripples a lot of other things, you know? So I just have to have moments where... When I go to sleep, I try not to have it near my bed, which I know is probably hard when, one day when you have kids and stuff. But yeah, I'd say yoga,
1: sir, probably. Yeah, things that bring you back into the present, for sure. Yes. Number three, what, is, what do you see as your most essential habit for a successful day? Probably
0: doing something every day that scares me, you know, that's like, that's growing me. Because you can check off to-do lists and, okay, great, you know, plenty of those days. And like the days where I really liked I'm like, man, that took balls
1: and, like, you did it, you know? For number four, do you have a favorite, like, lyric from a song or something that really moved you? Oh. Or a song in general? That's a really good question. Oh, my God. I've never,
0: ever been asked that. And there are so many songs. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be.
1: Oh, so yeah. good. Nailed it. And number five, what is? You said you cook most of your meals. Uh, what is your favorite uh, meal to cook?
0: You know, I'm like a bowl, a bowl master. I love the bowls. I like,
1: I'll throw in like sweet potato,
0: rice, meat, vegetable things, and I just like swip together bowls. I like, I live for the bowl life, and I have like all my little sriracha sauces and things that I'll like put with it. I'm really into bowls.
1: Yeah colorful and fun. yeah i know i my sister for the longest time she's like you don't actually like salad i'm like i do because you can literally put it's an excuse to kind of have totally everything. but it's like every you can have something sweet you can have a cheese you can yep. have a meat you can have vegetables and i'm like and it's it's delightful the, same. the more colorful totally the well for our final question we always ask what was one quality that you had as a young woman that maybe you didn't take pride in then but you so appreciate now
0: I'd say probably my moral standards. I've had issues, you know, of course, been approached by men and in like inappropriate ways. And that's just something that as a woman, you're going to deal with you are. It's just mm-hmm. I think some men have dealt with it. So I shouldn't say it's just women because I've talked to guys and have as well. But I'd say it's more common as a woman. And so I think never really bending, you know, my moral standards. And like sticking to my guns and like knowing, like, yeah, I have a backbone and like, I will stand up for what I believe in. And if I'm going to go down, I want to die on my own sword. So
1: good. Yeah. And that, that will, that'll serve you. Yeah. Stick to your guns. Stick to your guns, you know,
0: whether it be a creative decision, a business decision, a moral decision,
1: a relationship, like, don't bend your value. Don't. It's never, you'll always lose in the end. Love it where can people find you? They want to listen to your music. Oh they want to follow you on all your platforms. All the things, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, website. I'm on them all. I'm on them. Yeah. Love it. Annie Bosco. Well, thank you so much, Annie. This has been such a treat for your story, to reach our audience and to continue just watching you do your thing and thrive your star is rising as I said before and thank you
0: thank you again thank you so much I really appreciate I've had such a good time and I've learned I've learned so much in this past hour so thank you likewise all right talk to you thanks Annie
1: and that's our show if you liked what you heard today please like subscribe to follow and share meet Bridget with your circle the best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?